This week's episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. Embark on the next step of your digital transformation at futurelu.com. Flyover Futures Innovators podcast, where we discover, connect, and thrive with innovation happening in the Midwest. Every week, it's another chat. And coming up on this episode, people say, oh no, the you know the robots are coming for us, or, or data is going to take away jobs or whatever. But all I'm hearing you say is that if this is going to work at all, it's going to require folks to actually get very interpersonal with each other. If I can underscore anything, it's very important to partner with the right subject matter experts and they come along and help you develop uh, and go through that design, build, validate. And if you need to go back to design, build, validate again, you go back in that cyclical pattern until you come up with the product that that subject matter expert says, yes, that's me, that's what I wanna do. And then at that point, you can roll it out. I mean, so, and, and I think what's so powerful about what you're saying is actually the thing that's, that is the unfair advantage that this part of the world has over the West Coast or the East Coast, which has more engineering and like raw horsepower AI talent. Yep. We have subject matter experts here. Yep. We got that and a whole lot more coming up right now. Future welcomes you to Innovators Podcast. We're talking with people making big changes in the places that you may not be looking for it. Flyover Future is a weekly newsletter that covers corporate innovation, startups, emerging technologies, and a whole lot more. It's in your inbox every week. And now it is in your ears with this podcast. And you can subscribe to both at flyoverfuture.com. And we are very proud to partner this season with the Future Work Initiative, powered by Microsoft. In fact, they're even generous enough to supply our host. That's Mr. Ben Reno Weber. Ben, who is on the show this week? Brian, I'm so excited to have Tawanda Chapata here from Norton Healthcare. Uh, and I'm excited for on all sorts of levels, but partly because Tawanda helped introduce me to this world that he has been living in uh, about how do we use data to optimize people's health, to improve business outcomes. I mean, you've been working on this for a long time. So I'm super excited to have uh, you on the show today. Thank you, Ben. I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come and talk to you guys about the world I live in. Certainly exciting times in AI and machine learning. Yeah. So before we get into some of the really cool stuff that you're doing, I would just love to hear you talk about just in general, what's the coolest thing that you have heard about in AI and the data economy, whether or not you're working on it? Well, it's, 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 it's quite a bit tough for me to get into one specific thing. It's almost like asking, uh, who's your favorite child, right? They so... <laughs> Come on, every parent could do that. They just pretend like they can't. <laughs> right, right. There are so many innovations that are going on out there uh, in so many different spaces. I think it, it, it would be tough. But if, if, if you were to press me... Um, there's interesting stuff going on in uh, Los Angeles right now. I try to keep up with stuff going on in the AI world. And Los Angeles has a pretty old water supply system. They are using artificial intelligence and machine learning to prioritize the areas that they go and fix by simulating every possible catastrophe, be it natural events, uh, be it terrorism, and prioritizing fixes in certain areas. So oh, wow. they run this model, and they decide where the best placement uh, of those fixes is to try and reduce uh, uh, risk 
in case of emergency. It's so interesting to me because we're hearing this across sectors. Like we just talked to some folks who work specifically in insurance, right? And there's now simulations happening around what are the scenarios that could cause your your refrigerator to break down, for instance. And so to think that you can magnify that to the scale of a water system for a, for the second largest city in the country is magnificent and awesome and a little intimidating. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, okay. So what's the coolest thing you're working on right now? Well, uh, within Norton Healthcare, I'll give you a, a couple of examples here without giving away too much of, a, of the sauce. But uh, we use AI to help detect uh, patients at risk for developing potentially deadly uh, infections. Uh, that's a, a, an example. So with that, uh, some of the folks can come in and apply the necessary interventions and help patients be more successful. That's uh, one. The other case that uh, I can highlight is using um, AI to identify patients that are potentially at risk of suffering setbacks post-discharge. Uh, so we want to reduce uh, the amount of patients that have to come back and be readmitted into the hospital. So we identify them as they're being discharged. And again, that's when the mitigations can be uh, catered to that patient and help them be more successful with their recovery. You know, I'd love to back up a little bit and you, know, you have this vast quantity of data that you collect across all these different systems. And I remember a couple of years ago, it was after you had been a Health Enterprise Network fellow and yes. uh, you <laughs> kindly invited me to your office and you showed me just some of the different data systems that you were using. How do you think about what business problems you prioritize when you're looking at all this quantity of data? Ben, that's a very good question because uh, the good thing about uh, the world we live in now is there's a lot of data. The bad thing is there's a lot of data. So how do you remain focused, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think uh, it's critical for folks in my position and certainly my colleagues who I work with who are really my rock stars because they, they, they just do amazing work. It's critical that we understand the organization we work for and prioritize from there. What do I mean? Uh, we always go back to our mission, vision, values. They're the driving force for everything that we do. And from there, uh, we drill down to strategic initiatives uh, and things that we want to prioritize and then develop measurement systems around those so that we could uh, track where we're going it's target setting. There's a lot that goes on. As you can see, the short answer is we're mission critical. We're driven by mission, vision, values. So can you talk me a little bit through what that process looks like? And part of what we're trying to do within you know, this podcast and, and in this space is help people who are thinking through within their own organizations, whether they healthcare or not healthcare, like what's the process? Where do they get going? So you talk about starting with your values. So that's sort of, yeah. that's a big level. And yeah. then, you know, are you talking about developing a data strategy or are you talking about like just walk through what that process looks like as you put together a project that you would want to apply machine learning or AI or even just data visualization to? So it all starts really by the time you get to a project. Ideally, that project has been vetted and uh, it's been deemed to be one that would contribute towards supporting or enabling folks to support the mission uh, of your organization. Ultimately, I think it comes down to, uh, regardless of what organization you work with, 
looking at your mission and trying to come to a good balance of people, processes, technologies uh, to support your organization at being successful. So it's a good mix. And that mix could be different for any organization. So AI, yes, it's tools, it's techniques, it's great. But I think there's a part where strategy comes in and great leadership for which I think I work for an organization that has some incredible leaders that keep us focused and help us prioritize in terms of uh, looking at our data assets, people, processes, technology, mm-hmm. and making sure that we have a good mix and a driving and, and, and going towards uh, the desirable direction. So what do you do when you don't have good leadership? Oh, that, that, that's <laughs> Are you allowed to ask that question? Wow. All right. Yeah, let's do it. No, no, that's, 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 a, that's a really important obstacle for a lot of people who are listening to this. Ultimately, I, I think um, as the leadership goes in any organization, uh, so does the rest of it. But if someone's listening and they're thinking, I just can't convince the guy at the top that this is important. Are there any ninja moves that you would say, Here, here's the way you play the game, or here's the way you talk about this, or here's how you get it on a level that they will understand? Part of what I try to do with my leadership, with a customer, by customer I mean people I serve, is trying to help them understand the question that they're asking. So what's the business question? And always reflecting it, restating it so that they could clearly tell you what they need. I think a lot of times we say they're bad leaders. Yes, they are. But some of the other times it's just because information is not being translated between business and folks like myself who are considered either IT or business analysts. So a lot of trying to eliminate that issue of communication is, hey, let me restate what you said, or here are the requirements for what you just articulated. And oftentimes with that, uh, when you reflect people's uh, requirements back to them, uh, they can help you fine-tune uh, them to answer the specific question. And some, t- some of the times it's a matter of realizing, hey, well, that's not really the question I, I, I'm trying to ask. I get that a lot sometimes, you know. And I think great leadership is not just about the person at the top, but it's also the people following. Are you also uh, providing that feedback? Are you asking the right questions? Because it's it's not just on the leader, but it's also on, on the people following, making sure that there's those check, checks and balances and the understanding of where we're going. Well, and Brian, if I can follow up on that, I think from my consulting background, when I talk to some of the, the implementers in the data economy, part of it is knowing when to bring in some external resources, right? So if you're a C-suite person, I was talking to a data scientist for a very large company in the region. And he said, I need to convince my CFO why I need to spend $50,000 on this data set so that, I mean, it has the potential to impact $10 million in business, but I, it's very hard for me to get him bought in. Or is there anyone that you can recommend that, that I could have him talk to or something I could have him listen to? And I think that's a, you know, a real opportunity for us to be like, oh, well, what are the resources that you need as an industry for us to help you make the case to your leadership? One of the things I believe is sometimes our leaders have greater insight into other things company-wide that we do not understand. So I think part of what needs to be fostered there is an environment of trust and looking at your leader providing the best information you can Mm -hmm. and then trusting them that they got to that level, obviously, because they're a rock star, right? So I want to back up to something else that you said, people, processes, and technology. 
you know, I think a lot of times people hear AI, they hear data, and they immediately go blank slate and like, oh, this is a problem for IT to solve. I would love to just hear you reflect a little bit about how you uh, have imbued some of this culture of data into your organization so that, I mean, I think some of the things you showed me are interfaces that go really down to the frontline staff level uh, where data comes in and gets reflected back to them. Can you just talk about like how that has worked for you and what you've seen be successful or fail in that space? So I'll tell you this with regards to just creating culture that is uh, data hungry within my organization. We're very good. Uh, We have some very data hungry people. I think where a lot of organizations struggle is how to manage all the different stakeholders within that ecosystem. You have people that want data, as an example, data on readmissions, but some other people want to see trends over time. Some other people want to see a rate. Some other people want to see listings of who are the people being readmitted. Uh, some other people want to see, oh, for every person, what is their likelihood of being readmitted? So ultimately, for that, it requires really careful assessment of the needs, understanding your people and their information needs, and logging and having a strategy around um, how you will meet each of those needs. But in a cohesive fashion, because you need to have common data sources, common definitions, and drive that. But I think the biggest of all those is having a good data governance structure. You know, it's kind of like... Having that data governance structure enables you to see and make decisions about resources, uh, uh, how resources are assigned to do work, uh, how issues are resolved and by whom, how you intake systems. So if there's a new system that needs to come into your ecosystem, how do you make sure that that system doesn't already exist because that's lost cost if you're duplicating functions, um, skill sets, how do you... infuse new skills, be it by hiring new people or by training the people you have. Ultimately, it's a balance of all that. I try, I try to oversimplify, balancing all that. And without data governance, you will hear a lot of people talk about how it's chaotic. You get requests going to people just because, hey, I know Ben, he works in IT or right. Ben works in business. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to ask him for this. And Ben just does it for me as a favor. Well, with good data governance, it goes into a centralized pool of issues that are then triaged to the most appropriate, best person equipped to answer those questions and to the right level. So the first thing that you said, let me see if I can say this back to you, was you got to clearly understand the needs of your stakeholders. Absolutely. So and that might be different views of the same data. It might be different data requests and then put together a coherent plan around how you're going to meet some of, if not all of those needs. And then you need to have a coherent data structure rules around how that data comes in, common definitions. So how do you communicate that or provide value to the people at the front line who are actually entering that data? What does that leave? You said you got, we've got a lot of data hungry people here. Uh-huh. You know, how do you, how do you help stoke that hunger uh, in people who maybe don't start as data hungry as as you clearly are. The, the, the best way to go about that is I look at everyone as a problem solver, right? But the problem in which uh, the level at which people are solving problems is at different levels. Some other people are, pro- are solving the problem as a system. So they want to look at 
larger system metrics around whatever it is that you're measuring. They want to look at trends over time. Are we getting better? Are we getting worse? If we're getting better, yep, keep going, keep going, keep going. Then you have, for example, so those are folks that are called strategic, very high level. Uh, somewhere in mid-level management, uh, you have your folks that manage operations, managers, directors. They want to look at weekly trends. They want. They may want to look at uh, uh, trends by day. Again, same information, but I'll, I'll, if I can call it, I'll call it palatable information at every level. But the tactical folks, which boils down to your question, Ben, are the people that are making decisions at every action. In healthcare, it's at the patient level. In Kroger, it's at the customer level. They're trying to decide what's Ben most likely to do in this scenario or what does Ben need. It's going, understanding that need, and then meeting it. What, what's their decision process? The best way to get those people on board is to bring them along as a partner, help them identify with mm -hmm. the solution mm -hmm. as a good solution for the problems they're trying to solve. And then uh, use working with them to try and partner and develop a solution that they will validate, buy into, and then take and champion to their peers. You keep emphasizing that for data to work correctly, it takes really good human communication. And I think it's so funny because on one hand, we're talking about people say, oh, no, the, you know, the robots are coming for us or, or data is going to take away jobs or whatever. But all I'm hearing you say is that if this is going to work at all, it's going to require folks to actually get very interpersonal with each other. If we're to look at just the evolution of intelligence, period, it all started with natural intelligence. And the only reason why we're talking about artificial intelligence, which is really intelligence in machines, is because we want to fasten or uh, expedite that process for intelligence. Now, the best AI mimics um, um, intelligence of humans, but magnifies it times a gazillion. So to distill it down, you need that human power to help validate your processes. But uh, because a lot of the times the people building these models are not the experts in the field, you need to communicate with the subject matter expert on whatever system you're building on. So if I, if I can underscore anything, it's very important to partner with the right subject matter experts and they come along and help you develop uh, and go through that design, build, validate. And if you need to go back to design, build, validate again, you go back in that cyclical pattern until you come up with the product that that subject matter expert says, yes, that's me, that's what I wanna do. And then at that point, you can roll it out. I mean, so, and, and I think what's so powerful about what you're saying is actually the thing that's that is the unfair advantage that this part of the world has over the West Coast or the East Coast, which has more engineering and like raw horsepower AI talent. Yep. We have subject matter experts here. Yep. And so part of our real challenge as a region is how do we empower those subject matter experts with the tools they need within their organization or to spin yeah. out of their organization as entrepreneurs. Yeah, it, it's a great point. Let's pause right here and hear a word from our sponsor. We'll be right back. This episode of Innovators is brought to you by the Future of Work initiative powered by Microsoft. 
The Future of Work initiative is dedicated to increasing economic opportunity and equity by enabling Louisville to become a regional hub and center for excellence in artificial intelligence, the Internet of Things, and data science. If you are a person looking to upskill into the data economy or a company ready to embark on the next step of their digital transformation, learn more at futurelu.com. So, hey, I want to I want to flip over to uh, you know, you personally and just talk a little bit about your journey. Uh, clearly I can tell from your accent that you're from the south. And- <laughs> Mead County. Mead County? No? No. <laughs> no, you, you were right when you said South. It's South <laughs> Africa. Born and raised in Zimbabwe. Oh, and wow. Okay. Yeah, this, this is the part where, because I, I've had so many phases in my life trying to summarize that. I feel like I leave so many important phases along the way. And in each phase, there are so many people who help me. And it, it's tough, but I'm going to try. Born and raised in Zimbabwe. Uh, lived there all through high school, played soccer. And after I graduated high school, I was recruited to play soccer at Western Kentucky University. That's how to, I got to America. That's my coming Hill to toppers. What, what? Yes, sir. Go tops. Go top. Yeah. Unfortunately, the weirdest mos- mascot in the world. I don't, but, but. yeah, I, you know, everywhere I go, people ask me, so what's your mascot again? And I still can't explain it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but hey, that's that's being a hilltop. But I will tell you one thing. Anywhere I've traveled, I see somebody wearing the go tops or the hilltopper shirt. And they we are just the most excited people about our hilltoppers. And when we see each other, we are always excited, high fiving and telling stories about climbing up the, the hill to Cherry Hall and down back to PFT. So it's 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 a very, very unique group to be a part of. Okay, so, you, so you're at Western Kentucky University. Uh, what were you studying there? I studied computer science for my undergrad. Ben, I was a freshman in 98. And as you know, prior to Y2K, there was this big expectation that computer science was the way to go. I actually declared my major the day I applied. That's a story on its own. Okay. My freshman year. I hadn't seen it or touched a computer then. And I, I went through it graduated oh whoa, whoa, whoa. we gotta pause there for a second yes uh-huh you had not seen or touched a computer and declared yourself a computer science major i wanted okay. to study computer science yes i mean i love that because i think one of the things that we're also trying to figure out how to talk about in in this universe is mm-hmm. you know people who don't see themselves in these roles what does it look like for them to say, oh, no, no, okay, I'm interested in the problems here. I'm interested in this as a career path. And even if I don't have the skills, I see a pathway to getting them. Yeah, it's my story is a, it's, it's a little bit interesting because being in Zimbabwe, I didn't have the dream. I, I, didn't, I couldn't comprehend or even make up the dream of coming to America. But somebody uh, opened my eyes to the American dream and opened my eyes to a world that was otherwise a little a bit of a fairy tale to me. So that's the other fairy tale. I read about computers, didn't know much about them. I was intrigued. And when the opportunity finally presented itself to calculate, I said, that's what I want to do. That's awesome. And I stuck with it. But to go back to the other story, <laughs> that's, to go back to the other story, Y2K came and passed. And then there was a lull in demand for computer science people. So I graduated in 2002. And here I am, the computer science degree, Y2K came and went, and the world didn't end like Prince had 
predicted. <laughs> so in the end, here I am uh, uh, trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And I went back to the next best thing I wanted to be, which was a work in healthcare uh, as either a doctor or a radiographer. Interestingly, it's something that I made up at some point as I was a kid. I had people with doctors that were kind of around and radiographers, and I just said, I want to be like him. So the next best thing was working on a degree in healthcare administration. At the time, my idea was that I would solve issues in healthcare using computer techniques. And this was about 2005, 2006. So fast forward to now, that's where I've been. I've worked right after college. I went and worked for a vendor in Madison, Wisconsin called Epic, who now happens to be one of the biggest EMR, if, well, not one of, they are the best EMR in the world when it comes to electronic medical records. And that was very eye-opening and launched me into this career of healthcare, IT. Now, having worked in that space where I was implementing EMRs for a long time, come 2015, I didn't want to travel that much implementing EMRs. And Norton Healthcare had reached a point where they wanted to figure out how to best harvest that data and do something with it. And it seemed like a natural fit. I know how to install them. I better know how the data structures are and how to pull the data out so that some of our teams can help drive some of the performance initiatives that we needed. So this was a perfect landing spot for me. A lot of people, it's tough to explain, but once I verbalize it like this, it starts to make sense how it happened. It's not a straight line, but I'd be interested in hearing your perspective having been on the large scale data vendor side with, with Epic and then on the user side with Norton, you know, where are you seeing innovation happening? So, so innovation is happening everywhere. And as you see, our world is rapidly changing. Uh, the, the, the critical, critical challenges in, especially in healthcare now, how to lower costs, how to increase access, those, those are some of the biggest things and how to improve quality. So if you look at those and try to look at the innovations around any of those, you will see a lot on the technology side. You will see a lot on the business and uh, application side. And you'll see that right across at the point of care uh, with processes evolving along the way. I love it. Yeah. Real quickly, I like to do something called flyover flybys where I ask uh, some random questions that may or may not pertain to the larger things we've been talking about here. This is going to be fun. First, we talked about the importance of uh, WKU's mascot, uh, both to you and everyone that's graduated there. What animal or item would you now say is your personal mascot? Oh, that's easy. Eland. Okay. My totem, Africans have totems. Yeah. And it's usually an animal that you identify with. Uh, Eland is my family totem, so absolutely. So you also mentioned just deciding one day that you wanted to learn about computers. Is there something now that you know absolutely nothing about that you want to learn? Uh, I love and enjoy music. I know a little bit, but I, I wish I could learn way, way more. I just haven't dedicated the time to gain expertise in there, but it's a goal of mine to learn uh, the guitar and maybe piano. Okay, so speaking of that, who's your favorite band or, or musical performer? Oh, my gosh. So let me see. I'm going to speak from an American standpoint because all time it's Oliver Mtukudzi is Zimbabwean. A lot of people may not know him. But in America, I love R&B. Again, you ask me to pick my child. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it's so hard. Um, 
I said R and B is my 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 favorite, but I like Paul Simon. He's not R and B, but I love Paul Simon. Great pick. Uh, so I I want to wrap with these two questions. So what are you most excited about in the coming data revolution, and what scares you the most? Here, here's what excites me now. I know uh, you guys are very familiar with the Roaring 1920s, right? When the car automobile industry went boom. And everything seemed to just be moving forward. And I mean, right now we're living through a period where there's a great feeling of novelty associated with the breaking tradition. Uh, if you look, every, everyone really across any landscape, the biggest thing is how do we break from tradition to do things better, better, quicker, faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same thing happened in the 20s. You know, you saw the large scale development of uh, automobiles, of communication tools, uh, radio and television went in a boom. We are experiencing that very same thing, just in a different space in AI, artificial intelligence, driving, being front and center of a lot of the innovation. What scares me? Well, really, I think it's, it's, it's two things. One, uh, as I said earlier, the great thing is we have a lot of data. The bad thing is we have a lot of data. With that comes a great deal of security concerns. Mm-hmm. I think for the larger part, a lot of there's some great, incredible use cases for data that people want to do good with it. But with that also comes some bad players that want to do bad things. So now more than ever, as the data accumulates and it seems like everywhere else we go, people are collecting data on us, be it what you're eating, what you're buying, what you consume, any, 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 everything, where you're going... <laughs> people are collecting data. Uh, And now, especially in my field, it's protected data. Mm -hmm. How do we secure that? Uh, Coming from a soccer background, I'll use this analogy. Let's see if you guys can follow. Uh, When I was a kid, I played as a defender. Soccer is a low-scoring game. I had to be on point 90 minutes a game. If I let a striker get by me and score once, even if I've stopped them 30, 40 times, I didn't have a good game. So I see data security as one of those things where you don't have the chance or the opportunity to take an L. (laughs) Yeah, right. So you're playing defense, but you have to be all-star all the time. All that that hacker or whoever, they just need to be successful once every thousand times. And they've had a, a good day, so security is a big concern. Then the other part is I do worry as a steward of the industry that um, sometimes, you know, people put out products that are not well vetted or well thought out and that can lead to poor or wrong insights that folks can use to make decision making and that could be bad. So there is that other part of trying to be a good steward of the industry and saying, well, this is a science which requires very unique skill set, very unique tools applied in very specific situation. That's awesome. Dude, this is everything that I hoped for when we <laughs> got you to come on here and then some. This has been great, man. Thank you so much. Where, where can people find out more about you and connect with you uh, online? Oh, well, um, on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, Tawanda Chitapper. Uh, all my handles are T. As in Tom, C, Charlie, H, Harry, I, Isaac, Tom, Adam, Peter, Adam. Instagram, Facebook, I'm not on Snapchat, uh, 
but I am. I'm on pretty Instagram. sure I saw you on TikTok. Yes. Yeah. So, so the only <laughs> I'm a parent, Isaiah, my son is 14. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm on TikTok. Uh, oh, I was not, kidding. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm, I'm not very active on there. The only reason is because my son shares with me everything he posts just so that I can keep tabs on it. I'm, I'm one of those parents. Yeah. yeah. Good for you. Good for you. That's what scares me the most about data technology. Speaking of other things to check out on the internet, find out everything you need to know about our host, Mr. Ben Reno Weber, and his Future of Work initiative powered by Microsoft. That's online at futureloo.com, and you can find them on LinkedIn, Instagram, and Twitter as well. Uh, my name is Brian Eichenberger, and you can find me at wearethestoryguys.com. And if you're not already subscribing to Flyover Future, your weekly newsletter that dips into innovation and startups and a whole lot more happening in the middle of the country, you can do that at flyoverfuture.com. And you can also subscribe to this podcast. Uh, find links there to Anchor FM or hit us up on Spotify, Apple, wherever you enjoy good audio and let other people know. Leave us a review. Leave us five stars and we appreciate it. Thank you very much. Also, one last thing. Please put your seatbacks into the upright and locked position because we just landed another one. We're there. <laughs> we'll see you next week. <laughs>